0: Welcome to Dig Beneath Design, a podcast where design professionals share how they communicate their work. I'm Sinead Norton, landscape architect, and after 20 years of practice, I've seen how communication can make or break a project, no matter how great the idea. So I'm going out into the industry to uncover the best design communication strategies and tips to help us be more effective, more articulate designers, and get more great ideas off the ground. Ever have someone screaming at you in a community meeting? You need a few minutes with Damien Thompson, landscape architect and director of multidisciplinary design studio LAT27. He talks about being the eye of the storm and having stillness of mind. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't learn that at uni. Damien's got a refreshing take on the design industry. He's successful yet humble. Hear about the botched presentation that's etched into his memory why everyone loves a volcano, and how to make sure you reach every member of your audience. We're in Brisbane CBD, where it's been storming torrentially all week. The studio feels quiet, and the boardroom tabletop is a beautiful map of the city. Damien's got a laid-back manner that belies careful preparation. Let's get down to the good dirt on Dig Beneath Design.
1: My name's Damien Thompson. I'm one of the directors here, one of the founding members of LAT27. There's about 27 of us, funnily enough, at the moment in the studio here in Brisbane. Architects, landscape architects, graphic designers, and a few other rugs thrown in for good measure. We started with five of us uh, eight and a half years ago, but it's largely public realm focused, you know, public architecture, uh, open spaces, a bit of planning. Uh, our work takes us around the country at the moment, concentrated in southeast Queensland.
0: I love this map. Can you describe what we're looking at here? Because I, I really well, love
1: because uh, lat twenty seven is the latitude of this city, Brisbane, and many of us come from different places to arrive at the city. So the, the, the boardroom table is literally a printed, um, pretty simple line drawing over a plywood surface of the city, and. And the kind of main arterial routes and the natural systems and the waterways, the bay islands, which we're all super fond of here. You know, Moreton Bay is a huge part of life in South East Queensland, stretching up to Noosa to the north and down to the the border to the south of the table. And we joke that uh, if we get a studio at Barren Bay, we just just got to make the table longer. <laughs> keep <laughs> going. Sounds, like, sounds <laughs>
0: like a good aim. <laughs>
1: yeah, but it's it's pretty good. So in meetings, we can literally you know point to point geographic points of interest. And, waterways and dams and things.
0: And it's really tactile, you want to touch it and you want to sort of interact with it.
1: Yeah, if you look closely, there are lots of um, dots where people have started drawing on it and then re- <laughs> realise the folly of the ways. That's
0: right, irresistible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now we're building things and learning as well about um, you know, what we need skills-wise. And mm. really, you know, it's all about um, the great collaborators that we work with as mm. well around our projects.
0: What do you enjoy about collaborating with them? What makes them
1: great? Well, one of the things that, uh, you know, is central to all good communication, I think, is just being open, generally. And if you've got an open mind, uh, you're able to sort of uh, learn on the way and and adjust your thinking as best suits the situation. And so all of the people we collaborate with have that kind of mindset, which is um, what's best for this place or this community. The the great collaborators are people that um, can, can sit back and listen well. People that are engaged with the topic, they've done the research, they've they've arrived prepared for the conversation. And that's why I mean uh, you've got to remain open because um, ultimately um, there'll be things you'll find out through those conversations. So we always much prefer starting a project with a conversation um, and hopefully several conversations to draw out what's important for that place um, before we put pen to paper. And then your, your kind of master plan or design becomes an extension of that place. And it's hopefully you know, loved by those that live there and use it in the future. So that's the, that's the dream.
0: Do you think master plans have a specific communication challenge?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's true for all projects where you need a really strong narrative, right? So you've got to try and boil it down to the essence of the thing. What sets it apart from other similar master plans? So we're always focused on place-driven aspects of of something. So for example, we talked a lot about, um, it freaked a few people out, but we, were, for the Athletes' Village we talked a lot about 23 million years of history with the Mount Warning um, blowing its top back then and the streams of lava creating the headlands on the oh, coast. Oh,
0: that's great.
1: So yeah. this basalt, fluid basalt, there's a line of basalt that runs down the main street of the Athletes' Village as a kind of abstract connection to that process from the top of the hill to the bottom. So. That story really connected with people. Mm. Um, it kind of transcends culture in a way because it's of the planet. We're all in this together and, and that's that was At the a kind human of, level. Yeah, at a very visceral, you know, reptilian brain kind of level. And everybody Can't loves a that.
0: volcano. Love a volcano, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, all, <laughs> like... we
1: all blew things up at school, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. Tried not to blind a science teacher in grade four or whatever it was. <laughs> Come home with half your eyebrows missing. Yeah, it's a fun age. To... Yeah,
0: no, it's really dramatic and... <laughs>
1: Yeah, so having that uh, central thread at every level and every discussion in the master planning phase um, just sort of sits above the practical things.
0: Who's typically responsible for communicating ideas on a project, giving the presentations?
1: We catch up every week here, uh, the whole studio out the front on Tuesdays and go through the week that was and what's coming up and that's a really good open conversation about anything and in terms of who leads the presentation, it is... Normally um, there's a few people that are very good at presenting. We wouldn't force anyone into a situation where they didn't want to do that. If anyone puts their hand up and says, oh, I'd love to do that, that's fully uh, encouraged That's great. So we try to use Tuesday morning as a way to give everyone that opportunity to learn how to do it in a, in a kind of safe place. In that instance, we do um, task a few people to sort of speak up on things and it's great to mm. give everyone a place to test those skills. But I think most people are a bit put off by the whole process.
0: It's really hard to just put your hand up and go, I'll be yeah. that spokesperson. Yeah. I'll give that presentation. It's, it's getting over the first hurdle of putting yourself in that position or getting um, volunteered for that position, maybe. And once you do it once, you learn from that. And then the next time you do it, you do it slightly better. Now, as a director, Damien does a lot of public speaking chairing panels, leading presentations, and you can hear his relaxed, friendly communication style, right? So I'm surprised when Damien reveals he's often anxious before presentations, and in fact is nervous right now. I asked him what he does to feel settled.
1: Um, The best experiences I've had are when I've had a lot of time to prepare. You know, you never really know everything about anything, so um, you only know what you know. and, And and I I usually lean on the things I'm really passionate about, and they're usually the things I know more about anyway. So preparing uh, as well as you can, and giving um, a kind of respecting that process, which is for me to be comfortable to chair a panel or even sit in a jury scenario or something like that, to have the kind of stillness of mind in the moment to be able to be adaptable to the conversation around you um, means you're not struggling with um, freshly. Uh, reviewed content in your brain the other thing you, which is great to do is to actually discuss it verbalize it um, if you can actually rehearse it um, I've done that on major presentations many times and that's super valuable so being prepared giving yourself time um, surrounding yourself with people that whose opinions you really value and trust and just running through it but you've got to know your content clearly I always do a bit of a skim of who I'm talking to, the audience, for example, to think of questions they might throw. Like, if Mm. I was sitting quietly in a chair listening to someone, would this be interesting? You know, does this connect with that person? Some people have a very analytical mind. Some people have a very visual mind. And so understanding that everyone has a different way of processing information, you've got to present them both in parallel, I think. So if you can be factual and specific about things at the same time as you're telling a story about that place... And bringing in that kind of more emotional and experiential component, alongside some facts and figures.
0: That sounds like um, the holy grail of is, a presentation. Is like the,
1: that's where you want to be, uh, if you can do it. So uh, you don't get half the audience alienated by being uh, by reading poetry um, uh, and flashing up you know, obscure images in the background. And a lot of people are just going, well, "What is that about? You know, how does yeah. that work? Uh, yeah. How do I apply that?" Um, in my life as an engineer. Or
0: and on the other hand, it's not about slides full of facts and figures and text. I get
1: really annoyed when I see a badly put, uh, put so together do I. presentation. It really... Um, because uh, the presenter hasn't really understood the the audience's, the human mind's requirement to to digest information. You know, we've just had a national conference and people have come from a very long way mm. to be there and they've, they've stumped up cash as well. And That's right. And they're away from their families. And so you've got a huge respect to that uh, attendance. And, you know, you want to leave people thinking about things. So it's not just about being laying down a, a very well organised piece of information. They need to be provoked, inspired and sensed to whatever it is that you think is required by the topic that you're talking to. And if people are leaving a lecture or a presentation, if they're still chatting about the material you just discussed, then, then I think you've been successful.
0: How important is language to you? in your projects and in your presentations?
1: It's really important. I think landscape architects are sort of communicating to a broader audience now, which mm. requires us to, to describe things in ways that are just real and you know authentic. And if you're searching for, for long words to describe something, um, then you're kind of missing the point. The objective is to communicate your idea as clearly and as broadly as possible. I think if you think your idea is a strong one, You've got to connect to as many people as possible. You won't do that if you're using words that half the population doesn't understand um, because you think it makes you sound clever. And it's it's not it's not what it's about. I think quite often if you've got a really critical thing you want to communicate, then you should state it a few times. And sometimes stating it in a few different ways. It's a bit like the, the two lobes of the brain thing, you know? Give a really good, strong, factual position behind that statement and then also give the evocative, emotive position.
0: Have you Have you <laughs> had any presentations where you've felt either they've gone badly or not as well as you'd expected or...
1: Oh, many, yeah. Um, I went to a design, uh, an internal design conferencing thing with a company I work with once and um, was asked to talk about process and uh, ended up being the first speaker. So I had no idea, you know, I couldn't adjust my uh, uh, content um, based on other speakers. And what I thought was a collegiate chat about how we get to where we get to and it was I had a pretty loose thing uh, was not supposed to be that at all people were going into you know high energy pitches about projects and about the detail and, and what was communicated to me is, is just a chat about how we do things and you know lessons learned about process not about here's my fantastic project and so I had a couple of project examples in there and I remember looking out at the audience as I'm kind of going through my slides and that was a real lesson for me, so uh, triangulation is a really important scientific concept. You Get multiple sources to, to feed your position on something if you're unsure of it. Don't go to one person. I went to one person and said, "Got this talk coming up. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking at this gathering of the clan. You know, it was a it was a pretty big deal. I knew it was a big deal. But um, how do you think I should tackle it?" And I got a response, and it was really the wrong response. So, but if I'd asked a couple of other colleagues, I would have got very different responses. I found out afterwards.
0: That's a really good tip.
1: Yeah, so that the lesson, and that has obviously stuck with me. So never assume mm. that you know what you're doing if you're only getting limited inputs into the brief for that, that presentation or that mm. you know, Yeah.
0: I mean, did anyone tell you that it kind of your presentation wasn't up to yeah, scratch? Yeah, yeah, we just
1: got, I, yeah, it was. Um, you know, at the bar at the end of that day, it was I was just like, wow, that was just really not what I thought it was. Was required, and, and uh, the guy who I you know, admire greatly is me, yeah, you're really off-beam there. You know that was really not what anyone thought you, <laughs> we were going to get from you. <laughs> but in a way, oh, no. you know, it, it didn't really matter too much because it wasn't like it was for a you know commercially critical. Project as such, yeah, the stakes went that went too high. But it was sort of as far as reputation goes, it was a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a blow. But you know, you you live and learn. You can't. I mean, you got to kind of acknowledge that you get things wrong, and it happens all the time. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there are lots of excuses for that. But you just got to go with um, with the reality of it, which was it was not the kind of right thing to be discussing in that forum should have done research, never trust that person again. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then off you go to yeah. the next thing. So it's, uh, that was a very humbling experience. I
0: think it's actually comforting for other people to know that somebody like you, a director of a successful firm, <laughs> has experiences
1: like that. It's usually just a big misread of, of the situation. Yeah. Um, what about, um, yeah. What
0: about technical problems? Have you ever had a presentation where a technical glitch or malfunction has happened? Maybe your slides go black or whatever? Yeah. How do you deal with that?
1: Well, it should only happen once to you and then you develop this kind of panic room approach to sort of what, what I do better next time. You can't rely on tech. You know, it's, um, there's a reasonable percentage that something will go wrong. So always bring a couple of USBs to the presentation. If you can bring your own laptop, um, great, make sure you've got all the connecting cables and bits and pieces. So if the projector goes bonkers, then you've got your little screen. But these days, I prefer to go analog and digital, so oh. always have a hard copy or two of your presentation in A3 colour format. And that's got me out of jail before. Just being able to point to something quickly and the old chestnut of just testing it, you know, always whack that USB into another computer in your office or somewhere else, open the file up on a different computer if you Mm. can, or ask someone else to check it for you before you leave the room and jump in the cab and go to the presentation.
0: But what about in a kind of more like a big lecture or bigger setup where you've got a big audience, say an auditorium? Has it ever happened to you in that context where you just have to add Leoboard?
1: yeah. I've had lots of frozen screen moments in that situation.
0: Okay, what do you and
1: do? I usually expand on if there's something stuck on the screen. I can expand on it. Um, it's a good chance to actually connect with the audience. Funnily enough, it actually I think works in most cases to the presenter's benefit if something glitches because everyone in the audience goes, "Oh, thankfully it's happening to him as well, you yeah, know, her." Uh, it's like this, you know, public speaking is one of the greatest fears, isn't it? I'm sure yes. public speaking going wrong has to be next level again. So just, you know, remain humble and humorous if you can and, uh, um, you know, stay human through the whole thing, really. If you know your material, you should be able to, um, you know, use your hands and connect with the audience in a way um, that doesn't require the visuals. It's not ideal, obviously, but you're gonna to have to do it. You can't walk off the, off the stage. You've got to deliver something, albeit probably in a, an abbreviated format.
0: Have you ever had an audience response in a presentation where someone's been confrontational. Yeah, yeah. What happened?
1: You know, you're dealing with situations sometimes where uh, communities are being challenged, and it's usually a value system issue. Uh, So you've got to try and quickly break it down to, or or distill it down to what you think is the underlying motivation behind the comment, and not not lean too much on the specific words or the commentary, because quite often, That's not the issue. Uh, And this happens a lot in, uh, you know, open-air freestyle public consultation events, for example, where you're you're standing in front of a master plan and um, somebody may not have been there for the first couple of sessions and and they're really not happy with with where it's going. So again, key thing is break it down to the facts, take the emotion out of it. What is it specifically? Uh, And usually we say, fantastic, great new bit of intel, for example, we didn't know that that thing that heritage object was buried there that hadn't come to light in our analysis and presentation. I'm so glad to have met you and just uh, get names and numbers right down on the map and follow up, make sure you get back to them and say, yep, that, that has or hasn't been integrated for whatever reason. Most of the frustration I've seen through the years in that context has been where people haven't been listened to.
0: They haven't been listened to. Yeah.
1: So they've, they've had a chance to speak and they've, they've, you know, the old have your say that you see on the back of every community flyer. They've tried to get connected and they've been brushed so that really does annoy people and um, they can flare up at any kind of moment but you, if you know your history on the project and you're a, you're able to admit where your understanding stops and starts and also the purpose of the event, that's another really important one, you know we're here to talk about this and someone's talking about a totally different subject you do, you've you got to acknowledge it because it's coming from a you know, place someone's thought deeply about this and it's stirred them up. So you've got, to, you've got to follow that conversation up and maybe take it offline so that the rest of the group you know, isn't getting drawn down by. Mm. It. But if someone's yelling, you know, I, I always find just that, that finding that peaceful part of you that can just be the eye of the storm in that situation is, is really, you just got to take that energy on. And that's a really hard thing to do. But if you can uh, you know, keep breathing a really important one. Don't get drawn into anything, because verbal abuse is the step before physical abuse. If it gets to that, if someone's at that you know, ragged edge, um, you've just got to remain fairly neutral, take down the details, refer it to another person. Um, and if it's getting any worse, and I've seen this happen, then um, you, know, you, you just have to say, look, I think your behavior now is quite inappropriate for this setting, and, and just calmly put that out there. And, and start to be very, you know, aware of your surroundings and, and know know what the score is. Um, they're very isolated normally and, yeah. you know, it's, they're kind of sad to behold when they happen, but it's understandable.
0: Just someone's getting out of control.
1: Yeah, so if you can remain calm and neutral, you don't give that person in that moment of rage when they're not thinking clearly a chance to react to something that might be taken as a cynical response or, mm. um, you know, being poked at. Uh, you definitely don't want to go there. And taking things offline and, and um, even saying something like, because if you take it out of that crowded scenario, I mean, they're probably embarrassed too, because they're offloading in a crowded scenario. So let's have a chat about that a bit later. I, I understand what you're saying. You know, you're interested, but all these people here probably want to get going now. So let's have a chat about that over here and grab a couple of other colleagues and, and focus on it. But don't, you can't give them the center of the stage that's certainly not the way to go around public meetings you know that's usually the only time i've experienced that direct mm. confrontation it's sort of free form like that
0: yeah i mean what you've just described is a um a collection of you know jedi master and kind of <laughs> you know this <laughs> is
1: kind of yeah. like, not the confrontation you're looking for
0: i mean it's quite a um a developed range of skills that you've just talked about
1: i can get riled up and emotional like the, like anyone can it's just what you choose to do in that moment. And, and it comes down to how you respect the people that are around you in the process that you're going through. And not everyone's got all the facts to, to hand, and so you've mm. just got to try and just take the heat out of it.
0: Do you have an approach for how you communicate critique to design students?
1: I try to, I try to make a point of being as human as possible to them, and I think when you're in the throes of doing a university degree, you're very focused on yourself, and necessarily so. So trying to make that human connection first. I wanna know about you know what their world's like and how they've got to this point and how they make decisions on that basis so that I can respect their history uh, and their trajectory to this point. I always try and stay really positive, but I always make a point of, of outlining where I think something is fundamentally wrong. In a crit scenario, kind of looking for structural shifts and changes. Um, It's not brain surgery, though, and I've seen students be completely incapacitated by advice that hasn't necessarily been delivered in the most sensitive way, often well-meaning and often out of a sense of frustration. It goes both ways. and That idea of listening, you know, if if a tutor's saying to you, you know, I really don't know if that resort uh, on the Barrier Reef uh, is a great idea, and they don't listen, then there's clearly going to be some short conversations had about, you know, you've got to defend your position.
0: Yeah, you said something a bit earlier as well about um, needing to have a clear mind, needing to be in the present, just say you're doing five, six, 10, 20, whatever it is, crits in a yeah. space of time. How do you clear uh, your
1: head? It's, um, it's not easy. I think um, the best versions of that have been actually when there's a couple of minutes after each presentation, I make a lot of notes, you know, I keep a notepad around me at all times, and um, I like to just gather my thoughts with a couple of dot points either on the assessment sheet or in my notepad, and if the next person's already started, you know, you, you lose that moment of personal reflection on what's just happened. So if you can't close the door on the previous piece of assessment or looking at someone's work, then the next person kind of suffers a bit as well because you're like, there we go, on again.
0: So, so you, you just called it um, personal reflection.
1: Mm.
0: So do you use that in other aspects of your practice then? as yeah. a designer or as a communicator
1: yeah yeah you have to i um, mean it's just, it's a continuous loop of um you know the pursuit of excellence you mm. know, you never, no one ever gets there uh, we have a structured version here which is a design review where there's a few people that aren't on the job will sit sit over the scheme and, and discuss its merits um there's the cab ride home after the presentation with the colleague you know there's that That's sort of not quite individual personal, but it's certainly personal reflection on what's going on. And to that end, it's really good to have seating at a presentation is really important, where you sit.
0: Oh, tell me about that. If you can
1: have um, one of your colleagues sitting opposite you or at the end of the table with a different perspective of the audience, then they'll be able to read the mood of the room while you're talking, because you can only pick up a few faces when you're speaking. And as much as I think eye contact's critical, and trying to connect with everyone there at the room. It's critical, having another set of eyes and ears in the room is really great, because you can you can kind of kick things around afterwards. But if they're sitting next to you, they'll get the same view you had. But it's not always the yelly person that is the issue. It's quite often the person who has an ulterior motive and is very good at um, influencing the conversation and or the outcome to that end. Being as mindful about the quiet comments, quite often there's a, There's a very nuanced and very well-developed way of steering outcomes in a certain direction quietly. When, if you began the project here, start and came in two days later after the meeting and realised where it had landed, you'd pick it up straight away. So the subtleties are as important as as the big things.
0: Just say, if you could just look back and see yourself just graduated from uni, just starting in the profession. So how old were you?
1: graduated from uni. I was uh, early 20s.
0: What one bit of advice would you give yourself?
1: <sighs> Young man, I'd say. <laughs> um, I don't think I'd change a hell of a lot, to be honest. Um, it hasn't all been plain sailing through the years. Uh, I think even at that point, I understood how important how lucky I was to have a great family. Oh, well. Wow. Around me. So... Um, uh, you know, i had been very fortunate, and and my friends are really solid and still remain there today. So, uh, uni and school friends. So it was a bit of a recession, I think, at the time. I threw myself at work, um, and uh, you know, it's fairly obsessive about it. And I didn't give myself enough time to do other things. That you know, to this day, I'm sort of trying to get into. Like, you know. it's fine to uh, find mastery in a design profession if you can. Um, uh, but I think if you 're a more rounded human at the end of play, you know, the more things you've tried, uh, the more places you've been, I definitely would have traveled more. Um, I would have stuck at those bass guitar lessons. I would have which I still have. You know I love playing that guitar, but it's not um, it hasn't developed to a level of competence that would have happened if I'd stuck at it through my 20s. So I think those years are really important um, you know, and, and we've, we're lucky enough to have had a family. Uh, late 20s and 30s, and, and that's another amazing um, sort of series of experiences. But in those early years, you know, get get as much traveling as you can. And I say that to actually, I say that to QT students all the time. Just travel as hard as you can, um, experience as much as you can, eat everything. Um, and, uh, you know, tick off all of those things that you've always loved, whether it's music or surfing or climbing a mountain or whatever yeah. it is. Just throw yourself at it. Um, I mean, landscape architecture will always be there. And in fact, the people that I really admire as landscape architects are, um, you know, or the ones that I admire in a kind of communication setting, put it that way, are the ones that have had a really vast array of experiences in their life, and they're able to translate just about any scenario into an observation from a point in time on their lifetime. So, bringing that in and also backing it up with great technical facts about the exact issue to hand. But having that um, other kind of narrative going on alongside that is super helpful. So, if you're not travelling, then you're not going to ever get those experiences, are you?
0: Just makes you a better designer. It does. Just makes you a better landscape architect.
1: Makes so, you a better human.
0: Yeah, <laughs> better human. I love that. You've been listening to a podcast of Dig Beneath Design, here to help you in your daily design communication challenges. So, I'd love to hear from you what you think of the show, what you want to know. Tell me the design communicators that inspire you. Or maybe there's a great story from your own experience that can help your fellow designers. Find more interviews at sndc.com.au forward slash Design. Dig Beneath Design is brought to you by SNDC. Original music by Adam Jones. Sound and photography by James Norton. Engineered and mastered at Sound Kitchen Sydney. I'm Sunea Norton. Join me next time for more good dirt on Dig Beneath Design.